Hello, Nevadans. This is the NV Politics Podcast, where we discuss local political hot topics in the state of Nevada to keep you informed on what's going on. We're your hosts. I'm Dominique Labonte. And I'm Tim Hannafin. And we're recording this episode of NV Politics on March 9th, 2023. So let's get into it. All right, Tim. We are going to be talking about homeless, housing, and uh, then we'll get into our what broke your brain this week. How well, are see, you, and I, Tim? I, I came armed with uh, Nevada state or Nevada revised statutes for said topics. So, like, okay. yeah, yeah, no, I we're we're talking legal stuff, kind oh. of, not really. I don't know, you know. <laughs> We're talking fun stuff. <laughs> we're uh, we're talking. <laughs> what prompted uh, my thought around this topic was uh, there were two different articles that posted regarding a homeless person's bill of rights that is the Senate Bill One Forty Two. And this is headed by Democratic Senator Dallas Harris. And essentially, this Homeless Persons Bill of Rights, it would enshrine into state law that a person experiencing homelessness has the same rights as everyone else. And I guess initially when I read this, I was like, man, I I hope that someone who is unhoused um, still does have the same rights. But what it was specifically attempting to do is to declare that unhoused people should be treated fairly. Um, They should be free from intimidation, harassment, and are able to use public spaces, including sidewalks, government buildings, and public parks. So apparently also... Uh, There were a couple of things that were removed from this initial draft. So there was a privacy clause. The language that was removed was a reasonable expectation of privacy in his or her personal property. And so this specified that an unhoused individual could actually bring a civil action lawsuit if those rights were violated. And so... Nevada League of Cities, Las Vegas Chamber, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, Washoe County Sheriff's Office, they all opposed the bill. Um, And I think it was particularly due to that privacy clause because they did not want to get sued if they were seen as potentially harassing unhoused people. Um, if they needed to actually approach them, um, they didn't get give many specifics around that, which was interesting. Essentially, when those who testified against this bill, when they were challenged, they were not able to point to specific reasoning outside of I. I think they just didn't want to give the power, I guess, in a sense, uh, or the opportunity to be sued um, if they are potentially infringing upon rights of an unhoused person. I am no lawyer, but my first (laughs) response to this is, 
I'm pretty sure that there's a reasonable, like, I, I'm pretty sure, I don't actually know, but I think in some case law somewhere, everyone has a reasonable expectation to their privacy. Say, like, you have a backpack on your back without probable cause, unless they're searching for a weapon, from my understanding, they can't actually, like, look in said bag. Mm-hmm. And that's just a general law that applies. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a cop. I could be wrong in that. But that's kind of my first thought. I I had a whole nother thought when I actually heard about the bill and read the bill mm-hmm. text specifically. And it's an interesting thought, but how other than in some instances possibly incriminating themselves, does a homeless person identify themselves as a homeless person? Mm. Like how, how is one supposed to protect themselves with these rights? And without the other bills that we're going to talk about later, all this does is say, oh, they're offered the same rights as any other person, but there are still some laws that affect these individuals that, you know, you know, you, if you identify yourself as a homeless person to get these rights, you're then flagging, oh, well, I just incriminated myself under this bill and I got I to gotta up and leave where I'm currently residing because mm. even though I have the, the ability to reside, I'm now trespassing or, or what it is. Sure. And I know that there's a lot more nuances to that, but that's just my first thing of it's very hard to self-identify without incrimination in some instances. And we have to, if this bill passes, we have to make sure that other bills also pass that make sure that the existence of being an indigent person is not incriminalized or yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Tim. It's interesting to see the stance on this bill after that language was removed. I'm just also curious of, I want to know when and where that language will be removed. Because when I'm looking at the bill as introduced still, like they they don't have another text up for the bill yet. And Right, it still has, has the privacy clause in it. Yes. Yep. But from my understanding, it's being removed. And what okay. they're saying is... Ultimately, this, that makes it pretty much just a symbolic bill, uh, and it's meant to reinforce human rights extended to those experiencing homelessness. The general question that I have around this topic, because there's another bill that I'll want to bring up after we talk about SB 142, but I, just something that's fueling the conversation for me. What are the general effects of homeless populations on a given community? Other than, you know, general strains or some some other things, like, I, I think it is important for us to break down what some of their, like, wh- why it's necessarily a problem, yeah. or even if it is a problem, because yeah. um, I think then it really breaks down, I dare say, some of the importance of some of these. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ultimately, the... Uh, the Democratic Senator Dallas Harris, who proposed this bill, they explain every day, this is a quote from them, every day I see how people are unhoused, have their dignity stripped from them by the government, by law enforcement at times, and by people they encounter on the streets. 
This bill or rights simply says all people, including those unhoused, deserve dignity. And I misspoke. This is actually said by Eric Roth, who was testifying on behalf of Washoe and Clark County Public Defender's offices. So ultimately, they're trying to really just reinstate dignity. And I think when we talk about the homeless population, uh, and I think we're we're going to get into a little bit more about what cause what causes homelessness, um, what homelessness causes as well, and truly, in most situations, and particularly in Nevada, people who are homeless or unhoused, uh, it's not by choice, uh, and that can that can absolutely feel undignified. I think the other bill that we dare, we do need to talk about, especially in light of the privacy clause being removed, which is Senate Bill 155, which it's touching an entirely different part of Nevada revised statute. The first bill touching specifically on, you know, the rights of homeless populations. But Senate Bill 155 specifically addresses county ordinance and how and the laws that counties use to govern themselves. And it specifically says that county commissions and city boards can't pass laws affecting or, or you know, restricting the movement or abilities or living of homeless populations. Okay. So it more or less takes that privacy clause from the one bill and says, all right, cool. It's not going to be there. We're just going to make it to where no city council and no county commissioner can pass an ordinance that would pretty much make that possible. So you can't violate their privacy. You can't actually make it to where it's illegal for them to be housed because if you're unaware, there are those policies or bills being passed by county ordinances or county commissioners that were essentially saying, oh, you can't exist or camp in a public space. Hmm. And, you know, this pretty much just says like, oh, if they're residing in a non-obstructive manner in public, you got to leave them alone. You can't pass a bill stating they can't do that. It pretty much allows homeless to exist. Wherever they want. Yes. In public, yes. It gives it gives them a reasonable sense of privacy, if you will, to exist. Yeah. I don't know if you saw a video circulating a couple months back from a San Francisco business owner who had an unhoused person sitting outside his shop and he, it was awful, literally sprayed her with a hose to get her to move. There's two extremes, it feels, to some of this as far as, okay, we're ensuring that homeless people, their rights are protected and that they, they truly can have a space um, to live, right? I guess just purely yeah. live. Uh, and what does that mean for people who have already been going about their days in certain ways? How does this impact just, I think, everyday life for other people? Um, I think it feels that, it seems that unhoused people for the most part they they're not seen as much 
you know, and I think that's because of certain ordinances that have been in place. And so I'm just curious to see what the impact of all of this could potentially be. And hopefully harassment like that video does not increase um, because people are going to be just physically exposed, (laughs) if that makes any sense. So that's just a thought, something that I've been thinking through. I find it interesting that we're talking about some of these issues and we're specifically talking about homeless while at the same time, we're just getting news of the pretty much the community's housing advisory board getting reports on the CARES campus and their operations in Reno. And all that reports just saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing good. We're housing more people. We're getting more facilities up and running. We're doing this. We're doing that. And I, I just asked the question, is it actually working or, cause right. I've, I've toured the facility. I've seen their PR, their, their PR presentation and it's a lot of fluff. Mm. Is it actually happening? Is it long-term sustainability? Are people actually moving out and staying out? Are, are homeless people actually being allowed in? Are barriers of entry being removed for them to get into the shelter? Are those barriers of entry still present despite new facilities being open? Because to your point, there there might be more present, and we we should at least be offering them any resource to mm-hmm. not be homeless. Because I wouldn't yes. want to be homeless in the weather that we're having right now. No. It's raining. It's snowing. Um, the old man snoring somewhere as the nursery <laughs> rhyme goes. Like it's, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to be outside with this. So we need to at least be no giving way. them some, some places to, to stay need be. Yeah. And just to, to throw some data out there, I did visit the Nevada Homeless Alliance website and, you know, pulled some, some data. I will say this, I, do feel that their website was a little bit outdated. It's all, all of this is from 2019 to your point. I mean, we, we went through a whole pandemic since then. Um, truly the affordable housing crisis is even worse today than it was in 2019. Um, and you're just referring to some potentially low income housing that is being built, um, for individuals. And so, I don't know how accurate this snapshot is, but I do want to throw some of it out there knowing, uh, again, that the likelihood of it being worse is probably reality. So uh, there are some statistics here. They, They pull them from Southern Nevada. So the Nevada Homeless Alliance, they said an average of 13,000 Southern Nevadans will experience homelessness this year. And again, that's just Southern Nevada. Um, the leading cited barriers of obtaining housing are lack of income and inability to afford rent. Uh, and then at the time, again, 2019, when this was written, Nevada had the greatest shortage of affordable housing for extremely low income households in the nation. Uh, and statistically, what they found is there are only 19 available affordable units for every 100 extremely low income households. And so this ELI or this extremely low income 
qualifies as a family of four earning less than $24,000 a year. So that's what would qualify somebody for this ELI housing. And in Nevada, and I know for sure this is different today, but at the time this was written, fair market rent for a two-bedroom apartment was $980 a month. And in order to afford this level of rent without paying more than 30% of their income on housing, a household must earn $3,266 a month or $39,000 annually. So they did the math and this essentially would work out to $1,885 per hour to be able to afford that housing. So this will continue to be an issue. We will continue to see homelessness on the rise as our housing affordability continues to be a problem in the state of Nevada. And uh, I think if we are having a conversation about unhoused people, homelessness, what what are the repercussions of that? I, I really think that our legislators uh, hopefully are really honing in on what we can do for this housing affordability crisis because I cannot see this improving anytime soon based on just where the economy is at. Listening to those stats, I actually know for a fact that one of my friends that I grew up with my entire childhood who lived down the street from me was an extremely low-income household. Uh-huh. There were three three members of the household, and I know his mother made somewhere about $22,000 a year. And that was, you know, my entire life. The only reason they were able to survive was from what I know, and I could be wrong, but they owned the house that they were in. Was your um, friend's mom a single mom? Yep. Yeah. Immigrant, too. I don't know status, but yeah. Yeah. Double whammy, right? Statistically, um, that that is the um, archetype, uh, unfortunately, who we see in those situations the most. Oh yeah, and it's it's extremely unfortunate. So, yeah, maybe maybe next week we get to talk a little bit more about potential bills that are floating through the legislature around affordable housing, I think it'd be fun to kind of take on. The other thing that I I just do want to speak briefly on, especially when we talk Senate Bill 155, which is our state legislature proposing a bill that says every county and every city council, county commissioner and city council board cannot pass a law. So that is specifically our state legislature dictating what our counties can and cannot do, which is perfectly legal in the state of Nevada. And it's it's a question of Dylan's rule, which is more or less that the government, your city and local municipality governments cannot pass a law, draw taxes, or do anything that is not already provisioned by the the state government for them to do. They cannot pass laws, and to this point, if they do something that's bad and the state legislature retroacts them, they have to follow the state legislature. They don't have 
much autonomy in our state. It's caused a lot of problems. It's caused counties to not be able to draw taxes. It's caused counties to have whole money stops or project stops because they have to go to state legislatures to get this money. And we're seeing this specifically in this bill. And I'm not saying that this bill is wrong in any way, shape, or form. But I think this bill should directly bring back into question how our cities and municipalities operate within our state. Because we're getting to the point where we're up, we're almost at 4 million, 5 million population in our state. And yet we still have to wait every two years if a county wants to pass a new tax. I know. And that's just for the county to go to the legislature to ask to pass the tax. That's not even the legislature actually approving them passing the tax. So How there's this whole set. Uh, yeah. 31 what? states. 31 states, according, and I don't know if this is still accurate. This is based on some old numbers that I was reading, but mm -hmm. the reports that I was reading as of like 10 years ago, 31 states follow Dillon's rule, which comes from Supreme Court interpretations of some old or pretty much uh, Supreme Justice Dillon and how he interpreted some Supreme Court cases in the way of saying, no, local municipalities only get sanctioned rules. There are some other rules that come into play, but Nevada doesn't get those. And the counties that do get those in Nevada are by Nevada Supreme Court interpreted to only have them in name only, and they don't actually have any power under that rule. They still fall and have to adhere to Dillon's rule. So Senate Bill 155 would, uh -huh. dis would say that, or pretty much proposes no county commission and no city council can pass an ordinance that would ban the movement or obstruction of a homeless person in public. So mm. it would more or less moot any of the county commissioner boards that pass the anti-homeless regulations or anti-camping regulations that we were Got seeing it. come out of Washoe County. It would moot any of those and it would also okay. disallow the passing of any further of those it from a city council or a county commissioner. So in a city proper and in the retaining county, you can't do it. Wow. I mean, obviously interesting and, and relevant to this topic, but I, I can't help but think all the other impact that that could have. Yeah, it's for this topic. It's great. It's it's yay. <laughs> yeah. Yay for this topic. We don't we don't want these ordinances being passed, so we want this control. Why even have county commissioners at that point? <laughs> uh because our Nevada constitution requires them to be present or something. <laughs> it's cool. So they know I, I, yeah. what they can do. <laughs> Correct, correct. <laughs> All right, shall we jump into what broke my brain? Of course. My broke my brain is not from something I saw on the internet, surprisingly. This is actually from a human interaction that I had um, with okay. a couple of people. And something came up that I noticed comes up a lot, and there's a misconception. And I, I couldn't seem to let it go mentally. It just was like, man, this is definitely an issue. And I guess in a way I want to kind of dispel a myth. And the topic that came up, we were talking about local politics and 
uh, I was with a group of young people and one of them made a comment about basically uh, people going into local politics to make a ton of money. (laughs) And I kind of laughed at them (laughs) and I was like, whoa, hold on. So here's the deal. You don't make a lot of money um, being a politician, not a local politician, uh, for sure. There are five or six roles maybe at the state level where you're looking at, you know, a salary of over 100000 But outside of that, our state legislators, uh, whether you're in the Assembly or you're in the Senate, I'm, I'm going to give you a breakdown of what what they actually make. Okay. So 60 days, they can only (laughs) legally paid be paid for 60 days of session. That's right. That is thanks. That is thankful to a Mr. William Raggio in the nineties who passed some or eighties or nineties. I don't even remember when it was, but because it was before my time, but he passed some crazy, crazy rules regarding how our state government should run. It's been Mm -hmm. pretty destructive to uh, modern politics. Sorry, I digress. No, you are absolutely right on. That is absolutely where I was going with this. And the state of Nevada, we only meet for 120 days. That's the length of our legislative session. So it's... Every two years. That's right. You have to remember that. that. That's, so it's I was going to throw that in there. Every year, it's, not, it's every two it, years. It is 120 days within a two-year period. So that is four months out of 24 months that these legislators actually get paid for. And so you said it, Tim. So for uh, 60 days, they make $150 a day plus $142 uh, per diem. And then for the last 60 days, they'll still throw them a per diem of the $142. So I did the math for everybody. uh, And that way, this didn't break your brain uh, as much. And ultimately, for the two-year session, a legislator makes $26,040. Okay? So nobody's getting rich off of that. It is not... Uh, something I, you are losing meanwhile, money. <laughs> meanwhile, they're having to take either a six month or a full yep. year long leave of absence from yes. their normal job That's to correct. complete their duties of the legislature and for some of them run for reelection. Yes, which is which easily costs more than their entire income from a session. I mean, running a campaign is expensive. (laughs) That is, that is if they are funding their own campaign, if they're smart, they'll raise the money. So that's a whole separate cost and money bucket that we don't even need to talk about for this conversation. (laughs) So like I said, outside of, you know, some of these state roles, so governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of state, controller, state treasury, uh, state treasurer, all of those roles, they do make uh, over 100000 a year. Um, our United States senators, they obviously are up there. But here, here's a, an example that I wanted to give for one of them, okay? Our mayor of Reno, <laughs> Hillary Schiff, Sh- 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 well, good old mayor of Reno, Hillary, 
her base salary is $69,000. Okay, she's got some benefits that help push her over a, a hundred grand, but that's her base salary. Okay, the Las Vegas city mayor is $66,000 base salary. And to give an example of what's comparable, the salary of a manager of Hobby Lobby is about the same. Okay, these politicians are working to support and run entire metropolitans, uh, and they are making the amount of potentially but a Dominique, retail manager. <laughs> a mayor is only a part-time role. You're only a part-time politician. Whatever are you talking about? There's they no, could have another no job way. at the same time. <laughs> There's a reason why you see most of them are lawyers, because it's really easy to run a law practice on the side Yes, and do these high office roles. Yes. Um, So you're one of... Because yes, they are, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, part-time, but they're not. Yeah. You're basically one of two things. And there is a third that I'm seeing a lot more of, which is super awesome. So number one, you're either already independently wealthy, okay? You have... You have worked your way up. You have your own business. It's a it's self-sustaining. It's self-sufficient. And you are literally serving and giving your time because these resources are, uh, you know, pretty close to those poverty levels that we were talking about earlier for a lot of yes. these roles. And uh, so that's the first thing. You're independently wealthy. Or we see a lot of this. You're retired you already did the job thing. Now you can give your time in serving uh, in a, a seat for the legislator. Or this is what I'm seeing a lot more of, which I love. Uh, we have a lot of educators in this current legislature, right? And to your point, they're taking leaves. Well, yeah, they're they're taking leaves of at, leave of absences to be able to. To, you know, be a legislature. So they're having to take full years off of teaching mm-hmm. just to be able to run for office and then serve. So they're missing out on, you know, they're taking a half salary cut for a year just to be able to And an to educator's serve. salary, which yeah. as we all well, and that's know. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're taking <laughs> a, half a, a half pay cut because an educator, yeah. they're maybe making 40K a year if they're lucky. Sure, if that, so, yeah. So, you know, they're making less and they're having to take that cut for that time just to be able to serve. Um, another point that I just thought of, this isn't a a brief aside, but very relevant today is, Oh, they're all retired. They're all old. You know, it's not like our Senate majority leader just gave himself a concussion because he fell over. And it just made me think back to even my old mentor, Harry Reid, when he gave himself a messed up eye, like it, (sighs) They're old. They're fragile. I love I love some of them, but I also hate a lot of them simply because they are <laughs> that old. They are that fragile. It's a, it's a hard job that they're having to do. Yeah. They're having to make hard decisions. These are hard. Yes. These are long days. These are long nights. Mm-hmm. And they And they're young. making decisions for an entire population with... Such yeah. a diverse demographic, and yep. it's yeah, it's interesting. So that that was my broke my brain segment. Thank you for coming along on that journey with me, Tim. Now, what broke your brain? 
So what broke my brain is something that I think is ill-intentioned, but I just immediately went to the dark places because I was, I'm concerned. It revolves around Senate Bill 158, which proposes that for schools in certain classrooms have video cameras installed to record the interactions in the classrooms. Mm. Now, it's I saw headlines. I didn't read it. It's, I, I not only read the articles, I read the bill itself. Okay. Or the text as introduced. And it's for classrooms who are predominantly for those with special needs and those who are getting special needs educations because those students are historically known to have issues voicing abuses, concerns, and problems in classrooms or in settings like that. They can't voice when something bad is happening to them. So there has to be some form of a check. I get that. I'm 100% for that, and I understand that, and I don't have an answer to this. But the way that the bill is framed says that if a student, and I'm going to mess these years up a little bit, but from the ages of three to six years old is in a classroom 50% of the time, and they have a special needs, the camera require, or the classroom requires a camera and a microphone. And then if the student is the age of 6 to 21 and they are in the classroom 60% of the time, it further requires a video camera and microphone. Now, I understand why this bill is needed and I understand why it's in place. But I think back just to my own education being brought up in elementary school, and I'm pretty sure one or two of my classrooms would now require a camera and a microphone. And yes, the bill has full disclosure. And yes, the bill has the parents are notified, the students are notified, the teachers are notified, anyone going to the classroom is notified, like everyone's notified, but it's, it would be a desensitization to monitoring of students who might not need the monitoring and them just, hey, you're constantly being recorded. Hmm. Like anything you say, anything you do is being recorded. The bill doesn't give... It gives privacy requirements to the recording, so it can't be accessed for outside of school administrators. Mm. But from what I at least read, it doesn't have any requirements of, oh, if you do something wrong, it can't be used against you. Like, there's mm. no security, like, disrequirement. So if, say, an altercation happens in the classroom between two students who are not special needs but they're in a classroom with that camera. There is no policy that says the school administration can't use that footage to punish those students. There is nothing in the bill that says if a student says something that an administrator doesn't like, they can't be punished. Because historically, the Supreme Court has given no protections to students in schools. When it comes to free speech, it mm-hmm. always goes to the school. It always goes to against the student. That's not necessarily bad, but if you're putting microphones in classrooms and you have an administrator who says, yeah, we're not going to have uh, special needs classrooms. We're just going to mic up every classroom and uh, put cameras in every classroom and we'll just put special needs in every classroom. We'll just, we don't know where they'll go. I, I, I don't know what the right answer is, mm-hmm. but the slippery slope that I see in this bill scares me. Because we're already dealing with a generation that is so desensitized to their own private life online. Mm -hmm. And we're now uh, 
putting them in an environment where they're constantly being monitored. I remember what my schoolwork was like when I just knew that the school administrators were in the classroom. And, oh, now I'm having that stress 24-7. Yeah, I might forget it eventually, but then I say something wrong and I'm in trouble. Yeah, it's interesting to hear just a, you know, an overall higher level of surveillance, I think, happening. It's and again, I, I, it, it's, it's something that's needed for these special needs <laughs> students because, again, yes. if something bad is happening to them, they can't necessarily voice that. There has to be some level of checks and balance, which, from mm-hmm. my understanding, might be why there are multiple educators in those classrooms. There's not just one. Mm-hmm. But to that point, when you're putting them in the normal classroom, there were two educators because there was an aide and then the normal teacher. But there's still only so much oversight that can happen. The camera's great, but I, I'm just afraid, you know? Yeah, I think hearing that audio is there, I, I don't know. I guess that just takes it to another level. Uh, audio, is, audio and video. Audio and yeah. video is both video, in the I guess I, I guess I'm a, a bit desensitized to that at this point. There's video everywhere, you know. Like if if I go to McDonald's, well, you okay. you, you yeah, can probably no, no. find videos I, and parse them together to fi- to see my whole <laughs> trip. It's both the it's both the desensitization that you have towards video, but then also the fact that this is in the classroom of our children. Sure, that's where I have the problem because there is a reason, at least in my opinion children have a reasonable expectation of privacy in a classroom. Like, yes, they are with a teacher and yes, they are in that area, but some open discussions that happened in class only happened in my classrooms because the door was closed and because the teacher gave us that ability to say, no, 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 have this open dialogue. It doesn't leave the room. And it only left the room if you and your peers talked about it, which, yeah, we all know talked about it, but... We knew if we were bad-mouthing some higher-up administrator, that administrator wasn't going to hear about it from the teacher. And I guess I just, like, I'm thinking of it from another angle that it it forces you to have a higher awareness. I mean, I don't know. I also, you know, I, I fully believe in transparency and in being upfront and sharing what you think, but it's... I don't know. But does, there are no protections. There are no protections for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are no protections for that. And I just, in, in normal society, I think it's different than in the classroom because the rules are almost flipped. There isn't a reasonable expectation of freedom of speech for students within a classroom. That's yeah. been established time and time again by our Supreme yeah. Court. Mm-hmm. There is only a somewhat reasonable expectation of privacy to what a student does in the classroom via, you know, online activities, via, you know, what they can and can't actively do in school projects that could be discriminating to other students, like it, you know, actively invite or creating harm via or uh, insinuating riots or insinuating violence, like there are far less protections there. Mm-hmm. So yes, we do need to be more transparent and we do need to be more aware of what we're doing in society as a whole. But we, I think we also do have a right to preserve the academic space and some of the integrity that the academic space brings, knowing that it doesn't have some of those protections. 
And, and I don't know what yes. the answer is. And this is why no, my brain got so broken. Like, because I know. I, even I, as you're just saying that, right. Cause I was already like, uh, I'm like on the other side of this, but then I was just thinking all of this stuff, right. We've talked about Florida quite a bit, right. I think about the book bans. I think about the yeah. topics that are being pulled from being able to talk about, right. Whether it's race or LGBTQ plus, um, topics, you know, and what if th- those are the spaces that some of these kids feel safe enough to explore and they don't yeah. have that ability. And to your point, then what are the repercussions against teachers who are um, trying to be a safe place, but for maybe some parents, um, they're infringing upon where yeah. they should be going. Right. And like, and, and the, I can see the administration slope. getting around this. Yeah. And like in Florida, I can see the administrators being like, well, we're getting rid of disabled classrooms. We're housing them in normal cra- classrooms. Guess what? Every, every class now has a camera and a microphone just for our, those special needs students, you know, like, uh, Hey, we got, we got to have them in there for those because they're spending 50 to 60% of their time in those classrooms. And we've got it in every classroom because that's where we're putting them. So it, we're, it we're is doing for it for the special needs yeah. children. <laughs> yeah. We're making sure. And the problem is, cause I know I'm, I'm not going to go any further, but there are Republicans that will eat that up like butter. Mm-hmm. Like they will, they will take that argument and run with it and say, yeah, it's for, it's for the special needs. And then who knows what that will be used for those non-special needs students, because there is no, like there's protections against that being used publicly and being outside of the school's use, but there's nothing for what the school can like, mm. that's why i broke my brain broke it it's broken all right well let's wrap this thing up tim thank you so much for your time everybody else we will be back next week who knows what we're going to talk about but uh, maybe it'll be affordable housing i think that could be a a nice little segue it's probably going to be something to do with the state legislature let's just be real yeah i mean it's only in session (laughs) for 120 days people (laughs) there's a lot happening very quickly (laughs) all right cool well have a great week everyone and uh we'll see you next week oh and if you like us please rate us and subscribe we want to make sure that more people have visibility to us on Apple Podcasts.